welcome back to True Crime Trine, the podcast for the planets align and three friends talk about true crime, astrology, and any other weird bullshit we can fit in this podcast. We are your hosts, Hannah, Sarah, and Meredith. Welcome to whatever the fuck episode this is. Six. <laughs> six? <laughs> Seven? I don't know. I think it's six. We've already lost count. <laughs> I know, and we're in single digits. It's not a good sign. <laughs> we're so organized. get to tell a story again it's i've been longing for the mic <laughs> i am going to tell the story of a piece of shit called richard cooey 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 c-o-o-e-y like a dove i guess cooey like gooey or like gooey richard gooey <laughs> <laughs> yeah he sounds like a real slime ball he is a real slime ball, actually. Okay, it's definitely Richard Gooey from now on. Okay. <laughs> Richard Gooey was born in Akron, Ohio on June 9th, 1967, making him a Gemini, so keep that in the back of your mind. It's also Gemini season. It mm-hmm. is. So this is a uh, an example not to aspire to in Gemini season. Don't be a Gooey. His name's Richard, right? Yeah. Don't be a dick. Oh, don't be a dick, Gooey. Ooh. Ah, don't be a gooey dick. (laughs) Don't be a gooey dick. Oh, yes. Ew. Oh, Oh, it's so good. (gasps) Oh, I hate it. I love it. All right. Well, gooey dick. The very next sentence in his Wikipedia article is, quote, He lived there with his grandmother until high school, end quote. Which immediately brings up the question of where were his parents? Yeah. Hmm. So from what I could see, it does sound like they were around, maybe. And Richard testified that he had a childhood of parental abuse and neglect. Everyone's going to hate this, not just parents. But his father's toilet training routine included shoving Richard's head into the toilet or rubbing his face in his own feces. Oh my god. I don't know how that helps. Uh, I don't even agree with that when people do that to dogs. No, because dogs... That's terrible. I don't think dogs can understand it. And a small child? Yeah, so we're going to have one moment of sympathy for Gooey Dick, and then we're going to move on. Okay. Okay, actually, one more moment, because I have another sentence. His father also abused drugs and alcohol and would hit Richard in the face without provocation and beat him with a belt to the point of drawing blood. Oh, my goodness. So, this is a, a bad father, actually. Which, have we had a bad father? Not yet, I don't think. Oh! Well, Mr. Gooey is the bad father. I don't know his first name. Daddy issues. Daddy! I found less information about his mother, but she apparently also had a drinking problem, which is probably why he was with his grandparents most of the time. And his mother also testified at Richard's clemency hearing, supporting his story of abuse from his father. So, I think that's all real. Richard said he began drinking alcohol at the age of five. Oh my goodness. What? Okay, so we've got some serious problems with 
development happening. He's giving himself, like, post-fetal alcohol syndrome. He's too young. Yeah. Well, the fact that he even had access to it at the age of five. Yeah. Is concerning. Well, both his father and mother had drinking problems, so I assume it was around. But you could still put that shit on top of the fridge. Well, five-year-old likes the flavor of it. I didn't even start liking the flavor of alcohol until, like, definitely after 21. (laughs) Oh, it took me a while to understand to like the flavor of beer. Because I used to think it just tasted like mac and cheese. Oh, that's delicious. Mac and cheese. My palate is broken. Okay. (laughs) Well, you don't want liquid mac and cheese. It's weird. Oh, yeah. (laughs) So drinking at age five, and then by the age of 12, he was using weed, speed, and or opiates on a daily basis. Where's he getting this at 12? Wow. Akron, Ohio, I guess. So for some reason, when Richard began high school, he moved back in with his father. Great. No idea why he'd want to do that. And it seems like he joined the army immediately after high school. Get out of there. I mean, yeah, get the fuck out. I don't know how good he'd be in the army because he already sounds like defiant and not raised with any limits or anything, so... But sometimes they join the army so they can, or the military, to kind of get that structure. Yeah. It does have craving help structure and, yeah. A lot of people to have the structure. It didn't help Gooey Dick. So, um, the crime occurred on August 31st, 1986, when Richard was 19 and home on leave from the army. He was hanging out on a freeway overpass, as one does. With two of his other shitbag friends, Clint Dickens and Kenneth Horonet. Okay. Okay, and so what happens next reminds me of what I thought was an urban legend when I was a kid. So I'm wondering if you guys have ever heard about this as well. But, like, the urban legend was basically, like, if you're driving down the road and you're going under the overpass and someone throws, like, a huge block of concrete on your car. Was that just Fresno? <laughs> no, I've heard of that where, like, you have to be wary of if there's somebody above the overpass. Like, if it's a pedestrian bridge and there's somebody there, right? like, keep an eye on them. Like, yeah. We've had several instances of kids and even younger adults throwing rocks off of overpasses and injuring people. I don't know about a block of concrete, but we definitely have rocks up here. Okay. Well, the urban legend then has, like, a basis, in fact. The three of them were just kind of dicking around, throwing stuff off the bridge, until Clint threw a large chunk of concrete over the side, which hit a car, forcing it to pull over. So this car is driven by 21-year-old Wendy Afredo, with 20-year-old Don McCreary as the passenger. They were both sophomores at the University of Akron, going home after their shift at the Brown Derby restaurant. Wendy pulled over her car, and three men came down to offer assistance. Thank you. You're why we're here, but thank you. The five of them got into Richard's car, and he drove to a nearby mall so Wendy could find a payphone and call her parents. Maybe one day we'll do an episode where cell phones exist. Yeah. (laughs) Not yet, though. Payphones. This quote-unquote rescue quickly became a kidnapping after Clint noticed money in Wendy's purse and suggested robbing the women. Richard replied, quote, I'm game if you're game, end quote. Rude. Wow. Which is a pussy-ass way to, like, even commit to a murder, but. And it's their tips that they just got from the restaurant, probably. What a bunch of fucks. 
So Wendy made the call and then they all got back into the car. The women under the assumption that they were being taken back to their car. But when they noticed that they were going in the wrong direction, Richard pulled out a knife. This was apparently the breaking point for Kenneth, who was let out of the car, but it was not enough of a breaking point for him to call the police. So he didn't want to participate in it, but then he didn't do anything about it. Yes. So I'm going to lump him in with shitbag. Uh, so Richard then drove to an isolated wooded area where the girls were sexually assaulted. Oh. And... Of course, Richard tried to put most of the blame on Clint, and Clint tried to put most of the blame on Richard, so it gets a little unclear at this point what happened, but the coroners concluded that both girls had been vaginally and orally raped. And just to make things even worse, during the sexual assault, Richard yelled over to Clint, quote, Hey Clint, put on the bad company tape, end quote. Oh my god. If you want to feel really, really terrible, go listen to Bad Company by Bad Company with this fresh knowledge that it was the soundtrack to a brutal rape and murder. Ugh. So I don't usually think like a criminal, I think. So this next part confuses me a bit and could very likely be made up. But originally Clint wasn't worried, um, even though the, both girls definitely knew what each of them looked like because they weren't wearing, you know, masks or anything. Mm-hmm. But now that Richard had said Clint's first name, the girls would have to be killed. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> no, right? Wow. No. That's stupid. Because they're the only person named Clint in Ohio. In Akron, Ohio. This one Clint douchebag. I mean, you have a name. You can get a police. I don't know. Anyway. Criminals. Richard had a nightstick on him for some reason. So they both used that to beat the girls before strangling them with a shoelace. Uh, they finished by carving an X on each girl's abdomen and hid the bodies in the weeds. Why carve an X? No idea. It never really said, because it's not like, it like wasn't a, very much like a ritualistic murder. They're trying to do like a red herring thing or? Maybe. That's weird. They're dumb as shit though, so it's not going to work. <laughs> Did it say that they were doing drugs prior to, or I guess since he was doing drugs starting at 12 years old, maybe one could surmise that they were also intoxicated by something? I'm going to assume probably yes. It wasn't stated, but I don't know. It's a bunch of shitbags throwing concrete over the overpass. Like Yeah, nobody firing on all cylinders would do that to begin with. I mean, if you do that sober, you're even worse of a person, I feel like. Yeah, no kidding. Ugh. But the girls' bodies were found later that day. That's fairly quickly. It's very quick. Hmm. I guess it wasn't that wooded of an area. Someone found them. It was like a it was like a dog park. <laughs> My god, and like people at the park are like, what the fuck's happening over there? Oh, All the dogs dog. are rolling in this. <laughs> like Oh my god. Oh, can you imagine? Uh, no. Richard was a super chatty guy. I keep picking chatty criminals on accident. <laughs> Gemini. Um, Larissa was a Capricorn. No, but I mean like, oh, well, she had she had other aspects, though, that led she to her She had other aspects that made her chatty, though. Gemini for sure chatty. What? Never. What? <laughs> I hate talking. We're so fucking chatty. <laughs> So he told a couple of people that he had murdered two girls. 
even though those people did not ask. <sighs> wow. Uh, he also tried to sell some of Wendy's jewelry that he had stolen, but he didn't even try to clean off the blood. Brilliant. And a witness also saw Richard, Clint, and Kenneth all together burning purses in a backyard. In their own backyard? Some one of their one of their backyards. Kenneth apparently came back. Kenneth, I don't know what you're doing. Um, I still want to hang out with you guys. I just wasn't cool with that. Now the rape and murder is over. I'm totally fine with like burning evidence. Jesus. Mm. Well, police arrested Richard the following day, September second. So easy peasy. Uh, When he was arrested, Richard was wearing Wendy's watch. So this ended up being a pretty open and shut case. Yeah. Yep. I'm just imagining, like, a really dainty, like, watch on his big fat wrist. But, uh, yeah, you know. We'll get into his big fat body later. So Richard was found guilty of two counts of aggravated murder, two counts of kidnapping with the purpose of engaging in non-consensual sexual activity, two counts of aggravated robbery, and one charge of felonious assault for dropping the chunk of concrete on Wendy's car. And so for all of that, Richard was sentenced to death. Good. Good. Yeah. I mean, I still have four more pages, so we're not done. Oh, my God. Uh, <laughs> I was like, well, this was a nice short story. Open Thanks, shut. Hannah. Done. This was great. He did it. <laughs> he definitely did it. Um, okay, so, so to wrap up some loose ends before getting back to Richard... This is what happened to all of his accomplices. So since Clint was only 17 at the time of the murder, under Ohio law, he could not be sentenced to death. So he was given life in prison. Cool. Was he tried as an adult? Uh, apparently not. Okay. Or otherwise he would have gotten death, right? I mean, they could say, we can't put you to death because you're under 17, but we will still charge you as an adult based on the crime. Actually... That sounds more like, and he was 17. Yeah, it's horseshoes and hand grenades, my friend. You're fucking almost an adult. I don't think he got sent to juvie, like. Yeah, no. Yeah, so, hopefully. Kenneth, the somewhat unwilling accomplice, was charged with obstruction of justice and felonious assault. Check. Yep. He was released on parole after serving one year of a three to five year prison sentence. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) I got super fucking creepy, and I'm pretty sure I know his address now. Oh, okay. Uh-oh. He's, uh, chilling in California now. Got the fuck out of Ohio. And then lastly, we have Terry Grant, who was the witness that saw the purse burning. He was also charged with obstruction of justice and was sent to two years probation. Oh, Akron PD's not fucking around then. Not that one, at least. Uh, so, going back to Richard... I found a post on Reddit in r slash let's not meet by user Candy Taco Cart with a K. Nice. Whose dad was the same age as Richard and literally grew up across the street from him. And said their dad was not friends with Richard and described him as a, quote, scrawny, redheaded troublemaker, end quote, who would spit on people as they walked by and once set a neighborhood house on fire and blame it on a kid with special needs. Oh my gosh. What the fuck? What a fucking monster. He's been garbage forever. Jeez. Ugh. Yeah. It's bad. 
As per usual, Richard and his lawyers submitted a lot of appeals, Richard admitting to choking Wendy but denies bludgeoning the girls, which was one of the factors that led to their death. He also admitted to raping the girls but said it was done under duress, which go fuck yourself yeah, to hell. No. How do you rape someone under duress? You entrapped them by wrecking their car and no. <laughs> And 17-year-old Clint, you could take him under duress. Go fuck yourself. Yeah, no. His lawyers also tried an appeal saying the death penalty is unconstitutional, as it is disproportionately applied to black people, which I do think is true and a real issue to, like, actually try to resolve. But Richard was white. Yeah, he's a redhead. So it doesn't exactly apply to him here. That that doesn't work, yeah. <laughs> Did he pay for this attorney? Unclear, to be honest. If anything, using the death penalty on him would skew it to a more even. Right, it would balance it out again. So we should execute him. <laughs> I assume it probably was a public defender because he doesn't sound like he had a ton of money. You're like, let's just try pretty much anything and see... If we get a favorable agreement. Well, we're getting to my favorite appeal. And the reason why I picked this case in the first place is the argument that the death penalty is cruel and unusual punishment in this particular case as Richard was too obese to be executed. Interesting. So (laughs) are they hanging him or is it lethal injection or is it... So at the time in Ohio, the method of execution was lethal injection. They were afraid of the dose? So, I went down a fun side hole. Side hole? I went down a fun... Rabbit hole. Side hole. <laughs> Gopher hole. Uh, mole hole. I went... I just fell into a hole. Prairie dog hole. Groundhog hole. Prairie dog and... <laughs> badger hole. Oh, I fell down a badger hole. I like okay. badgers. Okay. And so, what I'm going to talk about for the next couple minutes is actually how lethal injection actually works. I'm curious as to how it could be considered as cruel and unusual just because he was overweight. I could maybe understand hanging where... Oh, the rope, yeah. Right? But I don't know. I'm having trouble with seeing how this could be an appeal based on weight. Well, let's talk about how lethal injection usually works. Okay. It usually follows a three-step protocol where three different drugs are injected in a specific order. So the first drug to be administered is sodium thiopental, which is a rapid onset but short-acting anesthetic. It's also a lipophilic molecule, which means fat-loving. So it's attracted to other lipids and fats and can easily dissolve into them. And this contributes to the fast-acting effect of this drug because it can cross the blood-brain barrier super easily as our cells are surrounded by the lipid membrane. Okay. And so for this reason, It has been used in medicine in the induction phase of general anesthesia, although at this point it's been replaced by propofol, not a doctor. But following IV injection, unconsciousness follows within 30 to 45 seconds. Pretty snappy. Thiopental is not great as a general anesthetic, though, as it's very quickly redistributed from the brain to the muscle and the fatty tissues. And so at a therapeutic dose, People usually regain consciousness within 5-10 minutes. Okay. Huh. I also just found this random interesting fact. So, a normal dose of sodium thiopental, which is 4-6 to milligrams per kilogram, cite other people that care, (laughs) can be administered to a pregnant woman 
prior to a C-section, and at that concentration, the mother will lose consciousness, but the baby will remain conscious. Whoa. Oh, I okay. think that's wicked cool. I just moved to Boston. Wicked. <laughs> wicked cool, y'all. Nope, now I moved to Texas. <laughs> Fuck! Y'all. <laughs> You're just all over the states. I am America. All over the states and all sorts of rodent holes. <laughs> all the rodent holes. <laughs> So that was just a random fun side fact that I thought was interesting. Yeah, that is. I was just trying to think back to when I had my daughter. I had an epidural, but I don't know necessarily what was in there. But they gave me, prior to getting the epidural, fentanyl, which I had never had before. And my nurse said, honey, this is gonna feel like you've just had a margarita and I was like well hurry up with that margarita because this shit fucking hurts and I got my dose of fentanyl and was like a really strong margarita you're just like oh hey (laughs) all right I feel the same because I had I had got surgery a couple years ago and so like I sat in, the, in like, the waiting room for, like, four hours because they were behind. So I was in, like, mm-hmm. a paper gown for four hours. Not drinking anything. I was so dehydrated. But they also told me the same thing when they came in. They pushed the, the drugs before they rolled me to the operating room. Like, this is going to feel like a cocktail. And I was like, it fucking does feel like a cocktail. Like, I feel – I have never felt this great in my life. <laughs> I kind of understand drugs. But – and then I feel like they must have used – a propofol or whatever. Because I feel like I also was knocked out super fucking fast once I got there. Uh, so, in lethal injections, uh, sodium thiopental is injected at a much higher dosage in order to quickly knock out the prisoner and then keep them unconscious long enough for the other two drugs to do their work. This is pretty controversial, and a paper was published in the medical journal The Lancet where the authors studied autopsies of executed inmates and found that in many cases that by the time of death, the level of thiopental in their blood was too low to cause unconsciousness. So they became conscious as they were dying then. Yes, which will lead to the second drug. But on the other hand, at a large enough dose, sodium thiopental alone is enough to kill a person due to lack of breathing. And a couple states have conducted a one-step lethal injection using sodium thiopental as the only drug. So at this point, the U.S. manufacturer has stopped manufacturing the drug, and the EU has banned the export of the drug for purposes of execution. So I think this is the one they talk about all the time, about not having enough of and whatnot. Mm. Have they replaced it with something else? Not that I know of. I'm curious how many states do lethal injection. I feel like almost all of them do now because it's the most quote-unquote humane. But fucking give me a gunshot in the back of the head. That's what I want when I eventually commit a crime. Or like give them just like nitrous until they're giggly and don't know what's happening and then just shove an air embolism into their brain. Ooh. Yeah. Wicked. That would work. I mean, that's that's the cheapest thing, you know? <laughs> like It's air. <laughs> it's really fucking cheap. It's everywhere. And nitrous? Yeah. Yeah, fine. The dentist has it. So an interesting note related to body weight and thiopental. In veterinary medicine, they found that different breeds of dogs reacted differently to thiopental anesthesia. And so as sodium thiopental is lipophilic and quickly redistributed to the fatty tissues, extremely lean dog breeds, oops, such as the greyhounds, 
have prolonged recoveries from thiopental anesthesia, while dogs with more fatty tissue recover more quickly as they have a lot of fatty tissue to deposit the drug in. Interesting. Okay, so your St. Bernard is going to wake up faster than your Greyhound. Yeah, and so if this does also apply to humans, then Richard may have a point that due to his body type, he would be more likely to have a short duration of unconsciousness and may begin to regain consciousness while the other drugs do their work. Oh, so I was thinking he was overweight. Oh, no, he's super overweight, but he has all that fatty tissue for the thiopenthal to dispense into. So he would come out of it faster, yeah. I feel like these are all really good points, but also he should have thought of that before committing such terrible fucking crimes that would land him in this position to begin with. Like, sorry, you didn't give them a choice, so maybe you don't get one either. (laughs) I don't know. That's maybe a little bit too drastic, but... I don't know. I'm a big (laughs) eye for an eye. Okay. The second drug is pancuronium bromide. I don't really want to get into how muscles work, so suffice it to say that this drug is a potent muscle relaxant, which causes complete, fast, and sustained paralysis of the skeletal muscles as it prevents muscle contractions from happening. It has no effect on consciousness, so if the sodium thiopental dosage was insufficient, the inmate can begin to wake up but will not be able to communicate because they are completely paralyzed. And would his diaphragm also count as skeletal muscle and therefore he wouldn't be able to breathe at all? No, they have a third drug for that. Oh. I wonder if the diaphragm is skeletal muscle. Anyway. I mean, I know it's like your what, like parasympathetic nervous system kind of thing. But is it though? Because you can still hold your breath. I honestly really don't know. But uh, I also just watched Midsummer like the last weekend. And so if you have seen it. This feels like the drug they gave to the main guy at the very end. Have not seen it. Oh, it's it's a fucking trip. I liked it. But he is basically paralyzed and unable to speak by the end. But still but still conscious. At least in midsummer. And lethal injections are supposed to be knocked out because of the thiopental, but So the diaphragm is skeletal muscle. Interesting. It doesn't actually say that it had that much of an effect on breathing. I don't know. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. Okay, so Amnesty International objects to the use of pancuronium bromide in lethal injections as it, quote, may mask the condemned prisoner's suffering during the execution, leading observers to conclude that lethal injection is painless and less cruel than other forms of execution, end quote. Which I can kind of agree with, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, if, it, if they are unable to say, wait, 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 wait. I can still feel this. Right. You know? Yeah. I mean, I get that. But at the same time, like, with all of the drugs that are out there, even back then, couldn't they have come up with a different combination? Because, like, Sarah was saying, with the nitrous, like, like, couldn't they put the mask on them and keep them, like, sedated that way while they're doing the other things? Or put them in a small room with an exhaust pipe for a car. You know I mean? Like, people... There's lots of ways to go out that are super cheap that don't yeah. that are foolproof, you know, like yeah, not sure. I almost feel like pancuronium bromide was chosen on purpose because it does paralyze the person, and so oftentimes there's a viewing during a lethal injection as well, and so the viewers don't really see any suffering occurring, although some viewers might want to, but depending on who's there, yeah, yeah so. Anyway. 
It'd make for a more interesting show. I know. I'm pretty vindictive, so I think I'd want to see a little suffering. Anywho's, the United Kingdom bans the export of pancaronium bromide to the United States, but will export it to the Netherlands and Belgium, where it is used as euthanasia. And I'm not sure if it's the only drug they use in euthanasia there, but if it paralyzes the diaphragm, that would make sense. But like, gasping for breath is also not the way I'd want to go if I was going under euthanasia. Anyway, hmm. how would you like to be euthanized, listeners? I'm all for nitrous. I mean, it's laughing gas. You go out kind of in a slight euphoria. You don't know what's happening. I'm going to second that, Sarah. I think nitrous would be a great way. I still, like, just put a gun behind my ear and shoot my head. It, I'll, I'm dead. At least, though, with the nitrous, like, you f- feel good before you go? Yeah. Yeah, fair. I just hope I'm never in a position to have to be lethally injected with anything. Fair. I might want to be euthanized someday, but um, I'm going to try not to be lethally injected. <laughs> try. Try hard. <laughs> I've been doing very well so far in my life. So the last drug to be injected is potassium chloride. So under normal mm-hmm. conditions, about 98% of the potassium that's found in the body is found within the cells, while there's 2% of the potassium that's remaining outside of the cells. And so to keep the body working, it's extremely important to keep the potassium at these specific levels in order to maintain the ability of cells to generate action potentials. Yep. Action potentials is a whole other thing that I don't really want to get into, but basically action potentials are important for cell-to-cell communication, such as what you would see in a neuron. So, for example, if you place your hand on a hot stovetop, the sensory neurons in your hand register that you are burning yourself and they need to tell your brain about it. So if you maintain the proper potassium concentration inside and outside of the cells so that action potentials can occur, then it will pass the information up the neuronal cells up to the brain. Actually, it goes to the spinal cord first, and then it's a reflex, and then it goes to your brain at the same time to register you're burning yourself, but you've already reacted by the time you register it. Fair. But if you do not have the right potassium concentration within and without, then you're just going to keep your hand there. And so action potentials occur in other cell types as well, such as muscle cells, and more importantly in this case, cardiac cells. So a big spike of potassium into the body will disrupt that 98 to 2 distribution and start fucking around with the action potentials. I'm a doctor. Not yet. So then your heart stops or? Yeah. So one outcome is changes to the electrical conduction of the heart muscle, which leads to abnormal heartbeat and eventual cardiac arrest. This injection of highly concentrated potassium chloride is also extremely painful. So. Important that you're knocked out for it, I guess. Yeah. So to wrap up lethal injection, just remember that all of this is administered by prison employees, not medical professionals. Oh. Because the Hippocratic Oath is like, you can't kill people. That makes sense. So the administration of the drug seems to be as idiot-proof as possible, but that also means that there isn't any room to respond and adjust to unforeseen circumstances. And then also most of the time, the drugs are manually injected into the IV by prison employees. So there's no way to diffuse the guilt as maybe with a firing squad where most of them have blanks and you don't actually know which bullet killed the person that you're executing. Mm. 
Uh, Mr. Fred A. Luxer designed a lethal injection machine that allows for blinding and some control syringes that only contain saline. But this machine was only ever used by two states, which is probably for the best, as Mr. Fred A. Luxer is a very outspoken Holocaust denier. Oh no. Yeah, just, okay. Ugh. All right. So that's lethal injection. Yay! Yay. I mean, I do love biology, so that was exciting. I know. I I really actually like researching this. Well, and thank you for the depiction of some of the stuff, because I am not a biologist or a medical professional in any sort of fashion. So it was nice to have a little bit of crayon drawn for me. Okay, I hope it was, like, general enough for everyone. I think it'd be okay. If I started bringing out how, like, action potentials work, you'll have to mute me. But, uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> this is This is good enough for our purposes. So, back to Richard and his appeals. So, this obesity appeal was the Hail Mary he tried after all of his other appeals had been denied. So, basically, it argued that Richard was medically unfit for capital punishment after gaining 70 pounds or so since his imprisonment due to prison food and being confined for 23 hours a day. As a fun side note, on, like, the court's legal books, Richard had to specifically deny trying to gain weight on purpose. Mm-hmm. Sure. So the main thrust of his appeal is that his obesity has led to him having veins clogged with cholesterol. That would also be hard to access these veins to start an IV. So problems finding veins had delayed previous executions in Ohio. Uh, they also argue that a migraine medication, Topamax, that he regularly took would reduce the effectiveness of the anesthetic. I did a quick Google, but Topamax did not include information on its interaction with the drugs used in lethal injection. So who fucking knows? <laughs> and then just for reference, so at his death, Richard was 5'7", and he weighed 267 pounds. Wow. This last appeal was denied. It was a reach, reach, reach. So Ohio does not serve a last meal, per se, as death row inmates are given the opportunity to eat breakfast before a scheduled execution, which seems unnecessary, to be honest. Yeah, it does. But Richard did eat a special meal on the night before his execution, and he really fucking tucked it away. Let me just make sure everybody knows... I fucking love knowing last meals. Oh, so, yeah. I actually found... It's it's a fascinating insight to, like, what it is that they crave, I guess, too. And at some point, we will do a special episode just based on last meals. Yes. This is a big one. So, uh, this special meal consisted of a T-bone steak with A1 sauce. I don't think I've eaten either one of those things in my entire life. Onion rings, french fries, four eggs over easy, toast with butter, and that particular tidbit led me to the grocery store to buy some sourdough bread so that I could make myself toast while I finished this. <laughs> he also had hash browns, a pint of Rocky Road ice cream, a Mountain Dew, and a quote, authentic bear claw pastry, whatever the fuck that is. So... Ohio doesn't offer a last meal, but he got a special meal. It's very pedantic. Okay. Because technically he could have breakfast, so that was not his last meal. 
Oh, okay. I'm I'm picking up what you're throwing down. <laughs> oh, I also forgot. Did I say he had a Mountain Dew? Yeah. Yes. Okay. I think that's absolutely disgusting. So I wanted to take yeah. that one home. That is a lot. So that's a lot, much. a lot. It is like it sounds like a very good diner brunch, a breakfast like the eggs and the hash browns, like the crunchy minus hash the browns. Mountain Dew. Yeah, but you know that's what he chose. That's a lot of food. It's so much. And it didn't say anywhere that he did not finish it, so I think he probably shoveled it away. So, Don's family chose to attend the execution, while Wendy's and Richard's family declined. So Don's mother spoke to the media before the execution and said that although she had been a longtime opponent to the death penalty, she felt different in this case. Quote from Don's mother, How's it going to serve society? I can't answer that. How's it going to serve me? I can't answer that. It's going to give me some peace. And I do feel guilty about that. I feel bad about that. But I do feel it. I'm not going to deny my feelings. I want him gone. End quote. I don't think he should feel guilty about that. Nope. No. That seems completely reasonable to me. Uh, So Richard had finally gotten to the point where he admitted that he was morally responsible for the rape and murders but to the end he insisted that clint was the one who actually physically killed the two girls Uh, he also never expressed remorse or offered any sort of apology and remained spiteful to the very end as his last words were quote you expletive i I don't know what the expletive is but i'm going to say you fucks haven't paid any attention to anything I've said in the last 22 and a half years. Why would anyone pay any attention to anything I've had to say now? End quote. Well, doesn't he fucking feel entitled? Oh my god. Despite his concerns, the prison employees were easily able to insert ports into the veins in each arm without difficulty. The execution began at 10.20 a.m. and he was declared dead at 10.28 a.m. Which overall, I think, can be considered a smooth execution, if that's the thing. Mm-hmm. Eight minutes, not bad. I mean, we wouldn't know, right? He could have been awake. I mean, well, I also don't know exactly when they go in and actually do time of death. He could have been dead before that, too. But Richard was cremated, and then, just to end this on an odd note, his ashes were taken to Ireland according to his wishes, but I have no idea why he had that wish in the first place. He was a redhead, though, wasn't he? Yeah, from Akron, Ohio, asshole. His lineage could come from over in Ireland. I mean, my lineage is also European, but you don't have to bring my body back to a place I've never been. Maybe that's where his other set of grandparents were or something. I don't know. Maybe. I'm not giving him any benefits of the doubt, but... Dump him in the gutter outside of a slimy pub. It seems like a weird request, and somebody actually did take his ashes to Ireland, so... Ugh. I did just a side note. My mom at one point said she wanted her ashes to go to Japan. Any reason? My grandmother's full-blooded Japanese. So my mom okay. is half and then I'm a, I'm a quarter. But she's gone to Japan. She's visited over there. But she was like, I just want my ashes over there. I'm like, why? You live your whole life over here. You've been there your one time. Here. Like, why wouldn't you? I'm like... I'm just going to put you on my fireplace mantle, and there's nothing you can say about it. (laughs) You are dead, so... She can't fight back. Good luck with that one. 
She's gonna haunt me for sure. Actually, Pearl, would, she would definitely haunt you. That's Aries energy. Oh, yeah. As a Gemini, I think you can handle it. Yeah, I could. So, I couldn't really find very much information about the two victims, Wendy and Dawn, but I did find one sweet story. And so, Wendy and Dawn were both sorority sisters in the Alpha Delta Pi sorority. And after Richard's execution, Rob McCreary, who was Dawn's brother, received a gift from a former Alpha Delta Pi sister. And inside the box was a shirt with the sorority's Greek lettering that Dawn had actually worn and a card that said it was for Rob's five-year-old daughter. Oh. I know. I was just like, that is so fucking sweet. So that's all I have on this case. But I do have some astrology. So Richard's son is in Gemini. Hi, Meredith. No. I mean, Larissa Schuster was me. So I can do this. I'm waiting on the Pisces. <laughs> so Gemini is an air sign. And I do not have a single air sign in my main chart. So I haven't paid that much attention to them until now. So my, like we've said before, my chart is all earth and water. I am mud. That's it. But the three air signs are Gemini, Libra, and Aquarius. And so I have a visceral response when I hear the word Libra. And that response is, ew. But I'm trying to be more open-minded for the podcast. (laughs) I do really love a good weird Aquarius. Always down to talk to them about aliens or whatever weird shit they want to talk about. But I don't really have a single preconceived notion about Geminis. Which any Geminis that are listening are probably breathing a sigh of relief. Because Gemini often leads the list of the most hated signs in the Zodiac. But we're such nice people. Two-faced. Unless you come across a two-faced one, yeah. <laughs> I have nothing to say about Gemini, to be honest, but... Well, I guess from my perspective, is not necessarily being two-faced, but is having two distinct personalities within myself. You are an evolved Gemini. I think yeah. a more unevolved version could be two-faced. Oh, yeah, for sure. And have a whole, like, secret life they don't talk about or something. Because, like, they just don't have the emotional capacity to talk about it. Yeah, I think for me, I'm just, I'm a very open person. And then, you know, I've talked about it before, but just how I have my work life. And then paraeducating my daughter and how that dual personality really assists me in that. But I'm also very conscious of where I'm at. So I am very introverted and very extroverted. It's it's just a part of who I am. That makes sense. Yeah. So uh, the core characteristics of air science in general include extreme intelligence, being rather elusive and hard to read, and they're also known as the communicators of the Zodiac, which I think actually makes a lot of sense with what you're saying, Meredith. Yeah. Uh, They usually have an adventurous and fun-loving nature, prefer to make decisions with their head instead of their heart. They can be philosophical, free spirits who can't be controlled, and not one single part of that made me think of Richard Cooey, unless committing rape and murder could be considered an adventure. No. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. To narrow it in a little bit, Gemini is represented by the twins, which leads to the assumption that they are two-faced. No. <laughs> Not always. Yeah. I am going to dissuade you of this <laughs> the more we go. I have no feelings about 
about Geminis. I'm fine with Geminis, but Geminis do have dual personalities. We do. And you yeah. can't deny that. Nope. Uh, so it can be hard to know which side of a Gemini you are going to interact with, and that also makes it hard to get to know them completely if you're only seeing one or the other side. Unless you're me. Uh, yes, well. <laughs> because I tell people everything because it's fun. Because <laughs> I'm too fucking chatty. <laughs> There's That must be all that. I forgot what your moon is, what your rising is. I forgot too. Okay. <laughs> it's fine. I was just going to say a different kind of hashtag no filter when you're too chatty. <laughs> oh, definitely. But I'm I'm totally guilty of that myself. So Yeah, because yeah, I feel like Pisces, like water signs can also just say whatever. And I can't stop telling people that I'm depressed, but I will not talk about my personal life. So I don't, eh. Capricorns, who fucking knows? So Gemini traits are a little harder to nail down as they don't have one dominant trait that stands out. Unlike Capricorns, where everyone says ambition is the main trait. Sure, yeah, I can see that. Uh, but I think I'm going to go with versatility as the trait for Gemini. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. Yeah. And a Gemini is prepared for change, whether it is positive or negative, and can fit themselves into any situation. I would also say that Geminis often have an air of restlessness. Uh, they like to move fast, and they do not like to be bored. Gemini... Gotta call that. True. Yeah. True. <laughs> check. Yeah. Check, check, check. Yes. So positive traits for Gemini include adaptable, outgoing, and intelligent, whereas negative traits include indecisiveness, impulsiveness, unreliability, and nosiness, which I think is a, I love nosiness, so I think that's like a, a, a neutral, it's a neutral trait, right? I'm super nosy. For me personally, I would say that I am not... I also don't think you're unreliable. That's the okay. one. If I tell you I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it. Yeah. I follow through with what I say. That's one of actually my biggest pet peeves in my entire life is if you tell me you're going to do something and you don't do it, Yeah. Like that just sets my hair on fire. I definitely agree. I would say that Richard... Might have like an impulsive streak, as all he needed was Clint to say that they needed to kill the women, and Richard was, yeah, sure. This is an example when just knowing the sun sign isn't very informative, and there are other interactions in the chart that are strongly influencing their personality. So, if we look closer at Richard's sun... We see that the sun is forming a square with Uranus, which is in Virgo, and a square with Pluto, also in Virgo. So a square is one of the planetary aspects that can be seen in a natal chart. And just the aspect is the angle that one planet makes to another planet, basically. And so a square is formed when two planets are at a 90 degree angle, which means that the planets are three signs apart. So in this case... With the sun in Gemini, it would form squares with any planet that is in Virgo or in Pisces. So right now it's forming a square with Uranus and Pluto both being in Virgo. Squares are the most challenging aspects and bring an energy of tension and conflict. There's a reason we didn't call this true crime square. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. In this case, both Uranus and Pluto are in Virgo, which is a practical... One might almost say stodgy, earth sign, 
which conflicts with the fast-moving, changeable Gemini personality. I don't like changeability as a Capricorn Virgo rising. You like stability. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can identify <laughs> with this. So having Uranus, which is the planet associated with originality and individuality, and Pluto, the planet associated with transformation and rebirth, both of those in Virgo square to the sun in Gemini would then modulate those Gemini traits to an extent. Meaning that his sun sign wasn't informative to me at all. Okay. He's not a pure Gemini by any means of the situation. Okay. And I think the earthiness kind of reduces maybe the flightiness, per se, of a Gemini. And kind of just commits them to a path that they go down as well. So this square between the sun and Uranus, the planet of individuality, predicts someone who needs personal freedom and can fight against the restraints of a conventional life with a partner and 2.5 kids and a 9-to-5 job. Which he didn't even have any of his normal Mm -hmm. kind of constraints growing up, so that would really affect him. Yeah, he was a rebellious kid from the very beginning, so just pushing people's boundaries as soon as he knew about boundaries. And of course a lot of that came from a childhood of abuse and neglect and never learning healthy coping mechanisms. But since this is a podcast about both crime and astrology, I am going to say that the square plays a part, perhaps by leading him to be more prone or primed to react against conformity in this kind of situation, especially because his life growing up did not match the conformity of, like, you know, the partner, 2.5 kids, 9 to 5. Like, his parents didn't have that at all. Yeah. Yeah. Which is still surprising that he joined the military. That's why I think maybe he was looking for that that structure. Or maybe he thought it would help, but then he got in and he was just, like, too stubborn or whatnot to actually be able to get any benefit from a structure because he was fighting against it. Okay. Hmm. The square between the sun in Gemini and Pluto in Virgo melds into someone prone to inner tension and negative self-destructive behavior, which I think nails it. That would do it. Uh, Yeah. People with this aspect may have a difficult or challenging relationship with a guardian early in life, but I am going to place the blame for that squarely on his father's shoulders. Yeah. Square, squarely pen. Squarely. Okay. Did you get it? Okay. I got it. We saw the, the air quotes. <laughs> Anywho, that's all I have for Richard Cooey. Gooey dick, asshole. But we also learned some things about lethal injection. I think we what did. I'm going to take away from this episode is just more information about lethal injection itself as opposed to anything to do about dick. No, like his story wasn't actually that deep and i i found him originally because i was on the wikipedia page for uh last meals and so i I just clicked on i saw he ate a bunch of shit and i clicked on his name and then i saw that his who's this fucker with the mountain dew (laughs) yeah and then i saw his appeal was i'm too fat to be executed which i was like i have to look into that more for sure yeah just (laughs) the weirdness of it it was weird but that's all i have Awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. So in other news, as usual, we like to finish out the episode with a little bit more astrology. So in case the astrology about the uh, killer slash murder slash 
yeah, to other terrible I got a little detailed here. in this one. That was fun, though. I feel like we, we really haven't touched much on what squares are as far as, like, aspects and the planets and haven't talked about many of the outer planets either yet. Yeah. So, good. So, good. Yeah, that was really interesting. But, yeah, so coming up this week, super exciting, big, big news. There is a full moon lunar eclipse on May 26th in Sagittarius. So that's Wednesday. That's my birthday. Woo! Oh, yeah, this is a big one. This is, yeah, this is this awesome. is a huge one. So the full moon in May is usually called the flower moon. And this happens to be the moon's perigee, which means that the moon is at its closest point to the Earth in its normal orbit. So that makes it a super moon because it's going to appear so much closer to us. It'll be bigger. Oh, cool. So it's a super moon. And then since this is a total eclipse as well, there's a little bit of science here. So the Earth's atmosphere, the reason we see the sky is blue is because the atmosphere works to reflect blue wavelengths back from the sun. So the rays that will actually be hitting the moon because of the Earth's atmosphere that they're passing through during the eclipse means that only the red wavelength range will be reaching the surface of the moon. And so that will actually color it red. And therefore, the moon is called a blood moon. Uh, um, cool, so cool, 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 cool. It's really cool. So this week is super special because we're having a super flower blood moon eclipse. Yes. <laughs> on my birthday. On your birthday. On your birthday. Yeah. I'm definitely doing a tarot on that moon. That's a powerful moon. Mm-hmm. That is a very powerful moon. So we haven't really gone into a whole lot about lunation other than like how it affects you. But here's some things about how it actually affects the charts. So a new moon is when there's no viable moon in the sky or no visible moon in the sky. <laughs> the moon it's, is still it's there. Not viable. <laughs> it's there. We just can't see it because the sun's rays aren't actually hitting it at all from the point that we're being able to observe it. So there's no visible moon in the sky. And that's when the, the moon is actually in conjunction with the sun's position with where we are. And so... On the opposite side of that, a full moon is when the moon is in the opposition with the sun, which is why we can see the full circle of the moon being totally illuminated. So this month's full moon is when the moon is in Sagittarius, which is actually the opposite side of Gemini on the the calendar. So that, that round calendar that we can see all the different signs on, if you look at Gemini, directly opposite on the like through the diameter of that entire chart is our lovely Sagittarius. So that's where our full moon is. And you can actually... As a side note, to figure out how close you were to being born on a full moon based on your placements. So if I were a Pisces, my moon were a Capricorn, that would mean that I was actually born on a full moon. It's not, but, you know, for example. Anyway, so uh, a new moon is actually a great time to start with a clean slate and begin, like, a new personal endeavor. A full moon represents the timing that we might want to see some of that actually come to fruition. However... A full moon lunar eclipse means that in astrology, there's going to be a lot of deep transformative efforts and things that can be ab like abrupt and bring about really sudden changes in our lives. So this could be very positive or might seem negative, but as long as you remember to roll with the punches, things are going to turn out okay in the big picture. So yeah, in this case, you might find that you're, you know, a project that you've been working on might take a wild, unexpected turn, as might be the case um, since it is in Sagittarius. <laughs> So they are unpredictable. Just remember to keep that in mind. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, it, it does affect different people differently depending on where you are in the entire calendar as it is anyways. So just another little tidbit about that is that if you are part of the mutable signs, meaning Gemini, Virgo, Sagittarius, and Pisces, 
this Sagittarius super flower blood moon is going to affect you a little bit more strongly than the other signs. So just stuff to keep in mind there. And definitely write in if you have any big events that you notice coincide with this huge, huge thing happening Wednesday. So we don't want you to be a mutable sign. Please reach out to us. We have loved hearing from everyone that has given us suggestions. Uh, Small shout out to my cousin Crystal. I did get the book Tragedy in Ten Holler. So that is something I will be attempting to read over the next year of my life because that's all I can promise. (laughs) We would love to hear from you. And you can connect with us on Twitter at True Trine, on Facebook at TCT Podcast, on Instagram at True Crime Trine. You can email us directly at truecrimetrine at gmail.com. I haven't got any cat photos yet, so come on, people. That's all we want. Exactly. Kitties. Lighten up our day. I will put them on the website. We need that fun for all the dark that we talk about. And also, please check out our website. It's www.truecrimetrine.com, where you can see these pictures. You can see our bios, learn a little bit more about us. And check out our episodes and some extra information that we've put on there for you. As D.H. Lawrence said, if he was in Scotland, we need not feel ashamed of flirting with the Zodiac. The Zodiac is well worth flirting with. Unless it's the Zodiac killer. Boom. Music for our podcast was handcrafted by the talented and creative minds of Mike Warren and Pete Ortega. Our artwork was imagined and skillfully designed by the lovely Sarah Guest. As for production, well, they call me post-production. Show notes are available upon request. Just email truecrimetrine at gmail.com. Join us again next week for another tantalizing episode.